you would join me in Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verse 2 in just a second, and uh, we are talking about how you always meant to parent, and I want you to know that the truth that we're going to be looking at today applies if you're a parent, a grandparent, or you don't have kids, uh, because it's going to talk to us about how our minds work and how our minds are shaped and how that dictates the way that we act and live. No doubt we have all heard someone say, man, you know, kids these days, they just don't fill in the blank, right? Or kids these days, they don't have any appreciation for, and if you are around my age or older, you've probably even said something along those lines, right? And we might say it seriously, decrying some lack of virtue in this upcoming generation. We might say it jokingly, you know, uh, kids these days will just have no idea the struggle that we had with slap bracelets, for those of you that were kids of the 90s. Because every generation is a little different, and every generation has struggles. But the same thing is true for every generation of parents. And I think that if we were honest, we could take a little bit of time this morning and say, parents these days just don't. And parents these days just don't have any appreciation for it. And I'm getting some more nodding from the grandparents in the room right now, but I want to talk to you today about parents these days. Because parenting today is drastically different than parenting was 30 years ago. I have a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old, and parenting them in 2018 is drastically different from how my parents parented me when I was 5 and 6 in 1988. A lot has changed. A whole lot has changed. But I want you to recognize this morning that while parents had different things to worry about in 1988. I mean, in 1988, I think my parents were really worried about Dungeons and Dragons and um, Satanists, AIDS. I think today we worry about bullies, and school shootings, anxiety and depression. And the, cha- the challenges change for every generation. But the prescription for every era of parent is the same. Every era of parenting needs the same truth, the same prescription. The generation before me grew up and said, my dad worked all the time. The generation that I grew up said, my dad left. The generation that's coming behind me, they're going to say, my dad looked at his phone all the time. And in each one of those generations, there have been unique challenges because of the day and age and culture they live in. But the prescription, the truth, the solution has always been the exact same. And we find it here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Let's look at that together. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul gives us this great contrast here. He contrasts confirmation, conforming, and transformation, transforming. Now, to conform means to fashion after the pattern of someone else. It's to make oneself like another. It's making yourself a copy of someone else. And if you've been through junior high and high school, you've experienced this to some degree, right? In my day and age, it was all the cool kids had slap bracelets. All right? Apparently, this may be just a personal struggle that I had with slap bracelets, but nobody else is identifying with this. The cool kids had those, and my parents, my parents wouldn't buy any for me. 
It was a big day when I went to uh, Chuck E. Cheese and they had some and I got enough tickets that I could get a slap bracelet from Chuck E. Cheese. But we see that somebody else has something and we've got to have that thing. We've got to have the same phone that they have. We've got to have the same headphones that they have. We come home and say, Mom and Dad, I need these headphones. They're $287, but they're incredible. Some of us still struggle with this today. We've got to have the same brand of clothing. We've got to have the same brand of car. We've got to have the same brand of cooler as other people. And when we conform, we're just seeing other people and making ourselves a copy after them. We're fashioning ourselves after them. In high school, I considered myself to be a kind of a skater slash surfer kid. I took great pride in how different I was from the preppy kids. But you know what that meant? That meant looking at what was for sale in the skater stores and looking what popular skaters wore and what popular surfers wore. And I took so much pride in being different from the other kids by being like other kids. When I was in high school, goth was a thing. And if you wanted to be really different from what was mainstream or normal, you wore all black. You might even make your face more pale with makeup. You might paint your nails black. I remember being in a mall and seeing this group of goth kids. They looked different from everybody else, but exactly the same. They're separating themselves off by making themselves exactly the same. And so even this morning, if you think that you are alternative, and I don't go with the crowd, that might just mean that you've chosen a smaller crowd to conform yourself after. You've chosen a more niche group. And Paul says, don't conform yourself to the world at all. Don't make yourself a pattern or a copy after anyone, but rather be transformed. Become something completely different. And our world wants to conform us and make us more the same all of the time. Even researchers and educators who aren't believers have lamented our school system's propensity to push kids into a specific mold, to make them like other kids. I remember I was talking to somebody who noticed that I was left-handed. They said, I'm surprised that your school lets you keep writing with your left hand. Because when they were in school, they were forced to write with their right hand force everybody into the, the same mold. And scripture seeks to transform us. If we look around, this culture is constantly producing people that are exactly in a replica down to the millimeter, like cars rolling, after the, rolling off the assembly line at a factory. That's not what Scripture wants to do. Scripture doesn't want to make us like everyone else. Scripture wants to transform us and make us like Christ. So, well, wait a minute, Pastor Dan. You said we're not supposed to be Listen, if you make yourself like Christ, you're making yourself like no one else on earth. Because there's no one on earth like him. You want to truly be countercultural, become like Jesus. You want to be alternative, you want to do something that nobody else is doing, follow Christ. Become more like him. Becoming like Jesus is becoming unlike anything here on this earth. Now, some people think this means being weird. Now, Scripture actually calls us to be a peculiar people, but he's calling us to be a peculiar people, not to be peculiar people. There's a difference there, okay? He's not asking us to be weird for the sake of being weird. It's asking us to follow Jesus, and if that makes us different from the norm, so be it. But the call of Christianity is not to be weird. It's to follow Jesus. 
And as a body of believers, we're set apart from the world. We're different because we're following Christ. So let's say, for example, this morning, I wanted, I wanted you to become more like Christ. So I said, listen, for you to become more like Christ, these are the things, list of things that you need to do, and here's a list of things that you cannot do. That's, that's not it. I'm just trying to form you into my own image, trying to form you after my own personal preferences. And those rules, they might be good at boxing someone in, but they don't make anyone more like Jesus. People aren't transformed by rules. They're transformed by truth. That's what changes us. It's for this reason Paul says, do not be conformed after the image of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's writing this to Christians. Writing this to Christians who are struggling with what are the rules that we need to obey and what are the things that we need to do. He's saying, don't look for a copy or a replica or a list of rules that you can fit yourself into to make yourself into a mold. Rather, renew your mind with truth, and that will produce in you the person that you are supposed to be. That will transform you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, look, look what he says in the next verse, okay? He goes on to say in verse 3, for I say through the grace given unto me that to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Nobody should think, listen, I've got it together, and if you guys really want to be like super Christian, just do what I do. No one should think highly of himself, but rather every man should think seriously or soberly, according to the measure of grace that God has given to him. God has called you to become like Christ and to tra be transformed. And that doesn't look like me. It looks like you in the image of Christ, which is completely different than anything on this planet. Now, I say all that to point out this, okay? The mind is key in our transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think soberly. Our minds are a major asset or facet of our transformation in Christ. The truth that we come to know and understand and apply in our lives makes all of the difference. Now, before I go any further, I need to stop and rewind just a second, okay? And go back to that previous slide that says people aren't transformed by rules, they're transformed by truth. Because some of you are like, yeah, that's right. I don't need any rules. Because they don't transform people, truth does. So get your rules out of here, man. I don't need to have any rules with my kids. That is not what I said. Okay, if you doubt my thinking on that, go back two messages ago and listen to the message on discipline and being firm with our children. Rules don't transform us, but they play a vital role in our development. They're important while they're not the source of transformation. Your kids will grow up to believe in Christ because of the truth they've come to know and believe, not because of the rules that you've imposed on them. You cannot be strict enough to force your kids to follow Jesus. You can't. I wish that you could. I wish there were a right set of rules that I could hand you this morning because that would mean that I had it for my own kids. But I, I don't have some secret set of rules that is going to produce in your children committed followers of Christ. Rules will not make them followers of Jesus. Truth will. But rules are important because appropriate rules will help you filter out the toxic lies 
of this culture and give your child room to breathe. Do you see that balance there? Appropriate roles will filter out the toxic lies of this culture and give your child room to breathe. I'm going to talk to you about the challenges of this digital age, and I'm going to talk to you about some things that I, I, some recommendations I'd make. But you know what they're good for? They're good for right now, and everything can change tomorrow. And the things that we're going to talk about today, they, they weren't applicable when I was a kid. They weren't applicable 30 years ago. But because things have changed so drastically, these are some things we need to be thinking about now. But all of this is founded upon the truth that your child needs the truth of God's word to be transformed. Truth leads to transformation in every generation, whether it's communicated via text, via lithograph, via scroll, it's always the truth of God's word. That's what we're trying to get to. And the rules that are appropriate in each generation we're going, are going to change. So let me give you a personal example so I can try to bring this into, into shoe leather, okay? Bring it down to where we're living. When I was like eight or nine, I went to the birthday party of a kid in my class at my Christian school. My parents sent me to Christian school. My, my parents knew their parents. The, the, that, that kid had come to church, not super faithfully, not very regularly, but some, and they were in the Christian school. And so I went over to this kid's house for a birthday party, and he got this new video game system. It's been a long time. I don't remember which video game system it was, but it was new, and I was like, this is amazing. And we're all in his bedroom playing this new video game. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there with a the controller, and I'm looking at the TV he, he had set up there, and a kid behind me goes, whoa, look at this. And on this eight or nine-year-old kid who's in my class, on his nightstand is a stack of Playboy magazines, okay? Now, Playboy is not something that was allowed in my, my family's home, okay? My parents had, had done a, a lot of work to guard me from that. But here I go over to this, this kid's house, and then they're sitting there, okay? By the grace of God, I'm still at an age at that point in my life where, oh, I'm playing this video game. And I turned back to the video game, I kept playing the video game, okay? My parents had kept that out of my life for a very specific purpose. This young man who, who was my friend at school, his parents had introduced it into his life. My parents kept that out of my life because they believe that pornography tells us some pretty serious lies. Okay, Focus on the Family has a great article on this. It says these are the six lies that pornography tells us. It tells us that women are less human, that they're, they're, they're objectified in pornography. Um, there's a reason that the women in Playboy magazine are not called women. They're called bunnies or playmates. They're not called sisters or daughters. They're objectified. Uh, lie twos. Women are a sport. Have you ever noticed that every sporting magazine puts out a regular swimsuit issue, which is just soft porn, a body issue? It's, it's another sport for men to conquer. Lie three. Women are property. It's common to see a picture of a slick car with a sexy girl draped over it. And the idea is, buy the car. Maybe you get the girl too. Lie four. A woman's value depends on the attractiveness of her body. In fact, if someone is attracted to a heavy-set woman, that's considered unnatural or a fetish in that world. So to be valuable and attractive, you have to fit this very specific look. Lie 5 tells men that when women say no, they really mean yes. 
Much of pornography portrays women as hesitant at first, but then they become willing participants. Lie six is that sex and intimacy are easy, easily attained, and that's not true. Now, I just broke down six rules from that, that article that my parents wanted me to be protected from at the age of nine, okay? In 1988, that meant keep it out of our house. Because in 1988, the only way that I was going to come in contact with it is if I went over to some kid's house who happened to have it. But in 2018, your child does not need to go to that kid's house. Your child can be sent that from that other kid via a text, a link, a video. Your child can see something like that in some environment, some setting you weren't expecting. They come home, and just like they ask Google everything, they can ask Google about that. They go to school, and they hear a dirty joke, and it doesn't make any sense to them. Why is that funny? So they go home, and they Google it to understand what it's being talked about, and Google will supply the answer. This is a problem, okay? And, and, I'm, and I'm not an alarmist, okay? If you, if you attend church here, you know I'm not an alarmist. But let me just break this down for you. This is a serious problem. Pastor James Emery White, he, he writes about this in his book, Meet Generation Z. It's the upcoming generation. And, and I apologize if this is a little... He writes in his book... The doctors and parents are reporting a high number of young girls who ask to shave their legs early, but don't just shave their legs. They shave their genitals. Because that is what they have seen portrayed in pornography. These are young girls who are curious and have questions and go searching for it on the internet, and what is portrayed to them online is something drastically different. Now, if that is what is happening and that particular instance of grooming, imagine the lies that are being told to children about what their body should look like and what is appropriate action. I can remember when, when people thought it was just grotesque, the things that were hanging in the windows of Amber Crabbey and Fitch. Because that is giving our kids unrealistic ideals of what their bodies are supposed to look like. And we have come a long way from the shirtless guy in the window at Abercrombie & Fitch. I'm no longer shocked. I was for a long time, but I'm no longer shocked when I talk to colleagues in ministry at ministry conferences who tell me, youth pastors who tell me that they have had a major problem in the past year of kids in their youth group sexting sending nude or nearly nude pictures of themselves to one another. Not like an occasional, but a rampant problem, a widespread problem in a youth group where it becomes this thing that everybody's doing, that it becomes something that, well, because these kids are doing it, then we are. The age that we live in right now produces a whole host of challenges that my parents never had to consider or think about. And I know that some of you right now, you're raising grandkids, and you're even a generation further removed from the technology age. And I'm begging you, please be careful with what your kids have access to. 
please be careful with what your kids have access to. Because not only is there the sexual component to this, there's also the bullying component to this. Years ago, I heard people talk about the, the epidemic of bullying. I thought, bullying's nothing new. I was bullied when I was in elementary school, and I handled it. Now, if, if you've heard the stories I've told about my dad, I want you to guess what my dad's advice to me was when I had a bully in elementary school. That's right, punch him in the face. That was his advice. And that's what I did. Okay? And I ended up in the principal's office, but that kid, that kid stopped messing with me. And after that kid stopped messing with me, he, he'd been bullying a bunch of other kids. They didn't like him either. They started standing up to him. And suddenly there's a bunch of kids that are standing up to that kid. Like a month later, I, I run into this, this kid's mother at the, at, the, at the grocery store, and she scolds me in the middle of the grocery store for being a bully. I want to be like, what? Me? But her kid is coming home and complaining, now everybody is picking on him. Everybody's turning on him. Now, that happened to me when I was in third grade. I had a skirmish over it, I ended up in the principal's office, and it was squashed, it was done. You know what happens today? What happens today is that it does not end when we come home. When children come home, it goes to a whole other level. And whereas when I was a kid, I came home and I was in the safety of my home and that bully didn't live there so I didn't have to worry about him. Now when I come home, that bully can continue picking on me online in front of all of my friends. And he can get other people who aren't, don't even go to my school to pile on. And now it's not just a problem that I have on, on the playground at recess. It's something I have a problem with all of the time. Something that follows me home. Something that is constantly an issue. Because I'm always connected. My bully is always at my door. He's always given me problems. Now, our brains are designed to keep us safe. And this means that when there is a stressful situation, the, 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 the portions of the back of our brain take over. So that's the reason that when I think I see a snake, the front part of my brain is the place where it can reason out, no, that's a stick. That's a stick. But the back part of my brain has taken over and says, it's a snake, jump and scream. <laughs> and I make myself look like a fool, right? Because the backside of my brain is taking over. It's trying to keep me safe. It's trying to keep me away from a snake. And even though it may have been irrational in that moment, that, that fear response. What we have right now is we have a generation of kids that are living with a low-grade constant anxiety and fear about what other kids are saying about them, about how they measure up to the other kids. You, Moms and dads, if, you're, if your child has an Instagram account, I want you to get on their Instagram this afternoon and see the accounts they follow. And see the type of content that the, the accounts they follow post. It is people portraying themselves to be these incredible fitness, sexy people. And they may not even be that, but they got great lighting and they know the right angles, right? You know the right angles. You don't take a picture from down here, right? Because any, any picture you take from down here looks like this, right? <laughs> you take it from up here, right? Get the long neck, look thinner, right? You look at your, you go to the, the license branch. You know where they have the camera at the license branch? It's on a counter like this, so you have to look like this. That's the reason everybody's photo looks horrible. 
Your kids are following people on Instagram that know exactly how to portray themselves to look incredible. And what they're seeing is this lie constantly told them that everybody's incredibly sexy. And it's normal to have a six-pack at 14. And your thigh gap is not anywhere near. You, you just take a look. And that's what your kid is seeing on a regular basis. Regular basis. And then if they say something foolish or stupid, or if they look bad, somebody can snap a photo of them from behind and post it online later, and everybody's laughing at them. They become a meme. They become the object of ridicule. They're living with this. And sometimes it's worse than others. Some schools are worse than others. Some groups of friends are worse than others. But from 2007 to 2014, the rate of suicide among children under the age of 15 has doubled. And kids are feeling more pressure than ever before. And those base senses in the back of our brain that were designed to keep us safe cause them to live with stress. The brain is turning against them. And they're feeling anxiety and depression, thinking thoughts of suicide. And so, Pastor John, not my kid, everything seems great. You know what else this, this digital age has taught our children? It has taught them how to fake it. To appear one way when they're feeling a completely different way. To filter what they're experiencing. Moms and dads, here's what we got to do. Our homes need to be places where our kids find physical, emotional, and spiritual nourishment. Physical, emotional, and spiritual nourishment. It's not just our job to make sure that they got three meals and a bed. It's not just our job to make sure that there's a roof over their head. We've got to make sure that they are being fed emotionally and spiritually. Your child needs a place where they can come home to safety, where they are loved and accepted and they are fed truth because the culture is screaming lies at them constantly. You know what's going to help you do that? Unplug. Have family dinner and don't allow any screens at the table. Allow that to be a moment where everything is real. And when I say that, it may be more real than you want it to be, okay? I, I, I know that for the first several meals, it's going to be, but I want to look at my phone. I, I just need to text so-and-so. Be sobbing and crying, gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Unplug. Now, I'm tempted in this moment to say your kid doesn't need a phone until a certain age. That's, that's what I'm tempted to say, okay? But here, here, here's, the, here's the truth, okay? My family situation is drastically different from yours. I think that if my child was riding a bus to school every day, I would want them to have a phone earlier than otherwise. I think that if, if my child spent half of their time at their other parent's house because I was separated from their parent, 
I'd, I'd want there to be a means of communication so I could talk to them whenever I wanted. And so I know that for some of you, your situation is completely and drastically different, okay? But know this, whatever device you buy, it's a smart device and you can make it do what you want it to do. So you can buy them a phone that only sends text messages. You can buy a phone and turn off the web content. You can buy a phone and make it where they have to get permission from you before they put a new app on there. And moms and dads, it is not stalking to see what your kids are doing online. It's not. It is not stalking to see what your kids do online. It's responsible. Okay? And I, and I know that you've got to have that, that, that level of trust, and, and trust is earned, not given. And as they earn your trust, you give them more trust. And I know that one day they're going to leave your home, and they're going to be kids in there. I'm not saying till they're 30. Don't ever let them text anybody. That's not what I'm saying. So we got to recognize the seriousness of this, okay? Now, it, it, you know what a phone is? A phone is a tool. You know what an iPad is? It's a tool. we got to keep in mind, what is it that we're building with these tools? Are we building a child that follows Christ? If that's what, then the tool needs to be used for that purpose. Tools are beneficial, but what are we building, them, building with them, okay? And, and second, I'm done, okay? Tools are beneficial, but you've got to remember they're dangerous, right? Let me show you a tool. I love this tool. These, this hedge trimmer, it's awesome. If you've ever tried to trim hedges with like the extension cord version, um, I'm sorry. Um, I've been there. It, 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 it can hardly cut through much, and then you go through about seven extension cords because it's always getting... This gas-powered hedge trimmer is awesome. This is, this is great. But you know what I don't do? I don't hand this to my four-year-old son. Right? Some of you are nervous me holding it right now. <laughs> this is a great tool, but you've got to recognize it's dangerous. And tablets and screens and, and iPads and, and computers and phones... And even an iPod. Your, your, your kid has an iPod Touch. Oh, they don't have a phone. They, they got everything they need in an iPod Touch to connect with all the rest of that. It's a great tool, but we've got to remember it's dangerous. Sin is dangerous. Scripture warns us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He desires to do harm to our children, to our families to our home.